Welcome, everyone, to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Dunn. And I'm Paloma Herrera. And today we're talking about apocalyptic theology. Now, uh, Paloma, let's begin with a basic question. What does the word apocalyptic even mean? I think it's a word that is a little muddled in uh, pop culture. I think it, we tend to think of kind of the end of the world and disaster and sort of like zombies eating everyone. What, what, does, a, what does the word apocalyptic really mean? Well, um, it means exactly that. The end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> or it probably means like this really cool movie or not cool movie that um, Mel Gibson once did. Oh, you know, yeah. But... Yes, it definitely means that. Um, no, <laughs> no, apocalyptic um, from the word really means to unveil. to unveil. And so apocalyptic theology draws from that. Like mm. what is the unveiling and the biggest unveiling that the human world, human race has uh, encountered has been the revelation of God in human form and that's Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then from there, apocalyptic theology just sees this whole drama through the unveiling of Jesus. And so they start, the unveiling for them starts when Jesus um, came in and towards the time of his second second coming mm-hmm. and so it's all this unveiling all of this revealing of this truth that uh jesus brings with him yeah so, apo- yeah uh, apocalyptic is also a genre i mean it could be considered as a genre like we have the book of revelation which but in its sense revelation is also this unveiling of jesus christ right like john says it right there and so like at its core it has this revelation unveiling um sense yeah yeah so apocalyptic as a genre uh we we speak of an apocalypse or apocalypses and a revelation being an example of this and jesus is being unveiled uh but also kind of the behind the scenes machinations of demonic powers right the how the beast is involved and is and rome is you know complicit or a conduit of the beastly activity and that that's sort of that sort of dynamic there it's sort of showing you the puppet masters right behind the behind the scenes that uh, we might not see with our eyes but it's sort of unveiling that uh, spiritual drama uh, that's that's you know waging war right right uh, behind all of the uh, political powers that oppress the people of God right that's a very uh, uh, kind of uh, prominent thing there in in Revelation and an apocalypticism uh, referring to the worldview of kind of what we see in the genre. So, we, so what what more can we say about apocalyptic? So, in terms of New Testament, you talk about unveiling uh, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, this revelation of Jesus Christ, which uh, is, is perhaps as a as a concept or a theme much broader than than revelation. But what's what's more that we can say, you know, in the first century world and and adjacent uh, time time frame. What more can we say about apocalyptic literature? Uh, what is it characterized by? What are its goals? Um, you know, what what's really going on with all of that? Huh. Apocalyptic li- literature on the first century, we have like, I think the most iconic book should be like the Book of Enoch, right? We have like yeah. the animal apocalypse. We yeah. have uh, then um, this 
in the first 36 books book of, the book of the watchers yeah the book of the watchers right like yeah. we have this definitely cosmic battle hmm. between it but interestingly enough like um apocalyptic theology wants to see this whole thing as a cosmic battle between good and evil right and somehow man man is in the middle in the middle uh of this war but even in the book of enoch we seek we see uh, the judgment of god right mm. in the first six verses there it says like the one who's coming from the clouds to judge mm. uh the wicked and, and, and the righteous right or, mm. or even in the in chapter 28 where it says like god's judgment um the people are waiting for god's judgment and there's two separate places for people right so it's not this even in there there's not this solely cosmological battle that apocalyptic theology sometimes focuses on but there is also this like other judicial uh, motif going on mm -hmm. uh that in a sense apocalyptic theology resists right and so we have the book of uh for ezra second yeah. Baruch. Yeah. we have um the testament of the 12 patriarchs we mm -hmm. have the testament of solomon we mm -hmm. have uh right there's quite mm -hmm. a there's quite a bit of literature and and it's it, it may be it may be worth pointing out too that um the literature doesn't always sort of um read like revelation does right um uh, for example, one of the things that we see quite often is a kind of tour of heaven. Uh, and, and, and some of that we, we kind of see in Revelation, you know, think chapter four, come up here, you know, and there's this little bit of that uh, kind of dynamic in Revelation. But with the kind of uh, heavenly tours, um, you know, think Dante. Dante is a, a, a medieval example of this, but I think it's definitely drawing upon some of these um, um, ancient apocalyptic tropes. Uh, but this idea of kind of... Um, you think of Enoch, right, as somebody who is translated to heaven, right, as the King James says. Uh, what, what, um, you know, what did he see? What was it? What was it like to be up there? And so, apocalyptic is really drawing upon that that kind of insight, that wisdom, uh, that that knowledge that he has access to, that can then be uh, kind of you know passed on and unveiled in this way um, through his experiences, right, being up there while we're still down here. And there's there's that kind of dynamic too about this kind of um, you know heavenly um, uh, heavenly perspective and perception. So it's not it's not always just kind of uh, destructive battles, although there those those dynamics can play out kind of uh, in some in some apocalyptic texts. But there's 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 tends to be more of this kind of uh, unveiling of uh, kind of heavenly mysteries, you know, as a kind of made main theme or trope in the literature it would seem to me yeah yeah definitely now how c can you tell us how you first got interested in apocalyptic literature and apocalyptic theology maybe how this relates to your uh personal research your your phd thesis um well i first got introduced to apocalyptic theology because um i actually wanted to study demons and um so oh, my right. supervisor <laughs> my supervisor said like ah it's better to just keep it at as a theology overall instead of a personal demon and um and and talk about in the sense more 
how it relates to Pauline thought then to uh, go through every single exorcism account that Jesus did. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right? Uh, which was my original plan. And, um, and, and so that's how it relates. Um, apocalyptic theology definitely gives the framework for this conversation mm-hmm. um, to have. And as far as my research goes, it's important for me to first set the scene, perhaps um, that's all I'm doing in, in my dissertation, is just setting the scene to talk about how these demonic um, entities influence us in a more personal level. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, um, my research in apocalyptic theology is um, geared to what is real, right? Like, um, if we have the assumption of demonic entities, then mm. our perception kind of changes. So we have to talk about how do we know, we have to talk about epistemology, and how do we um, grasp those things. Obviously, eschatology and um, metaphysics, for sure, mm. right? Aseology, which is the study of nature and value and ethics, how does this since it affects the human being, so how do we then act, right? And so it's really um, apocalyptic just theology just puts a nice framework to talk about ontology, hmm. and, um, and and that's how it relates. Nice. So with the um, apocalyptic reading of Paul, um, which is you know. Um, kind of a, a distinct maybe flavor within this whole kind of enterprise. Um, what what uh, what what are some of your thoughts on some of the key figures within that discussion, like J. Lewis Martin, Martinus de Boer, uh, you know, even earlier with Ernst Kaysman or um, Douglas Campbell more recently? Um, what what are your do you have any kind of um, uh, perspective on their contributions to this whole discussion? Um, well, each one brings a very distinct flavor to the whole uh, train of thought. Starting with Caseman, I think I, I agree with him the most. Mm-hmm. Um, his trustee, um, his study on, on romance is, is very clear in a sense where his objective is to guide the reader to realize that um, throughout the story of the believer, the decision really is to worship God or to not worship God. And if you're not for God, then you're definitely against God. And so Kisiman makes that point very subtle, but it's very clear. And um, and in that sense, he brings the apocalyptic thought in the book of Romans where sometimes we can see the Book of Romans as um, as just a guideline of having good theology, hmm. right? Like we, we see the, the road to Romans is, and it's all our theology, you know, justification, yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And all of those things. It's, it, it's good, it's good. But Kissinger's making the point like having this right theology has to change you. Mm-hmm. And if it changes you, then you have a decision to make every day in your life. And that decision 
is very clear. It's either you're for God or you're not against, or you're against God. It's mm-hmm. basically what Jesus says: you're for me or you're against me. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground, and and so Kaiserman makes that that point very clear. Fast forward that to J. Lewis Martin. He does a very similar approach to Galatians, where Galatians, um, he sees he sees the same heart that Kaiserman had, for example. Uh, the apostasy mm. of the church to 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 really yeah. worship God, and so he sees that in, in in he writes Galatians. But unlike Martin, he in his portrayal of the teachers which oppose Paul in the book of Galatians, he tends to make this assumption that somehow, if Paul is saying a, the teachers necessarily have to say none a. And so he creates this polarity mm-hmm. of two extremes. Yeah. And it's very evident in his article, The Antimonies. Yeah, you know, Paul the Antimonies. Yeah, yeah, Antimonies, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Right? And and since starting from that point on, the apocalyptic theology is just um, this antimony battle. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that hugely affects Martinus de Boer when he comes up with his two tracks of apocalyptic eschatology. Yeah, right, 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 right. And and if it's de Boer fits from that, and he goes like, well, there's these two tracks. They, and he makes a kind of like a logical fallacy there. He, he but I, I I can see why he does that because he he has this frame framework that is that of the antimony of J. Lewis Martin. So. The board says there's these two tracks. We have the uh, we have the Book of Enoch, we have Ezra, we have Second Baruch. They two exist in the literature, but when he comes to his trustee of Galatians and, and, and his father Paul, he makes slight move and he says, but Paul necessarily subscribes to the cosmological. Track. Yeah, let's say a little bit more about the two tracks. That's a that's a great that's a great point. It's a real um, uh, it's one of the distinctive contributions of, of Martinus de Boer to this uh, whole conversation. So the two tracks on the one hand, um, really, it, it kind of boils down to theodicy in some ways. Right. It's like kind of what what is the ultimate um, sort of um, uh cause of evil or the ultimate you know kind of kind of who are we attributing the world's mess to kind of primarily are we attributing it to kind of adam's failure so a kind of anthropological um you know uh theodicy or is it really kind of the fall of the angels and is it more like with the watcher tradition you know from genesis 6 and then how that's taken up in enoch and um even in you know the petrine epistles and jude um but but it sort of in De Boer's framework, right? It's either one or the other, and that's kind of that's kind of how apocalypticism moves forward. Is that the mess is ultimately attributed to uh, a cosmological um, sort of malfunction, right? With angels sort of uh, um, uh, crossing this boundary, or with uh, humanity sort of um, uh, failing. Um, yeah. So is is there is there um, is there something about this framework that is appropriate or is this a misguided uh, bifurcation that ultimately 
uh, doesn't work. Because like you mentioned with Paul, he says that Paul is ultimately a cosmological guy. Um, even though, right, in Romans 5, he attributes uh, sin to Adam. And, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, you also have the Adamic stuff there. Martinus DeBoer did his Ph.D. on this topic, right, under J. Under J. Lewis Martin, right, the defeat of death. Um, yeah, what do you think about the, the two tracks as it relates to Paul, but also in general? Is it is it a, an appropriate bifurcation? <laughs> well, I, I do think... It's a good thought exercise, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it helps you kind of follow the two tracks and, and just follow either the cosmological story or just the uh, judicial um, story. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I don't think it, it, has, it holds much water. Yeah, It waits much because at the end, we have Romans and and Romans has the two, mm -hmm. right? I, I think I was just reading an article by David Shaw where he... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know him. Right? Yeah. Where he based... Yeah, yeah we, we met, sorry, we met, we met randomly um, at a coffee shop in uh, Cambridge. Uh, forget the name of the coffee shop, but but uh, we were we were both presenting at uh, the British New Testament Society uh, meeting in London um, that that particular summer at King's uh, College, and um, it, our papers side by side were both on apocalyptic theology and and so we met when we found out about it. I just happened to be in Cambridge. I was visiting a friend, and he actually was studying in Cambridge. And uh, anyways, I can't remember if he emailed me or I emailed, emailed him, but, uh, you know, we, we, we set a, a time to, to chat about our papers just to make sure we weren't going to be repeating each other or stepping on each other's toes. And uh, thankfully, we, we shared a similar kind of approach to apocalyptic uh, theology as articulated by some of these, um, uh, re you know, apocalyptic readers of Paul, like J. Lewis Martin and Martinus de Boer and, and others. Um, so we shared a similar perspective, so we'd be complementary in that regard. But also, we were addressing different issues. Um, I was primarily coming at it from the vantage point of my thesis, which was about themes of suffering and persecution in Galatians, and how, you know, it's it always felt kind of odd to me that these apocalyptic readers of Paul um, did not integrate the kind of apocalyptic hope um, that they see in Galatians with the themes of suffering and persecution. Because um, I, I see in a lot of apocalyptic literature that a lot of the apocalyptic hope is kind of predicated upon a discrepancy between covenantal promises on the one hand and then the lack of realization of those promises, which are aggravated by things like suffering and persecution. Um, and so the apocalyptic hope really kind of is fueled by um, the kind of uh, experience of suffering. And so I, I see that play out really nicely in Galatians. And I, th I think that the suffering helps to integrate both the covenantal themes and the apocalyptic themes, you know, which, of course, at least in some of the caricatures or discussions about apocalyptic theology, it, it ends up being um, sort of viewed on the one hand that apocalyptic is is so focused on discontinuity that the kind of covenantal continuity is undermined or um, sidelined. And so, you know, those like N.T. Wright want to come along and say, you know, that that uh, that, yes, there's discontinuity, but that doesn't, you know, uh, undermine um, 
sort of, you know, that this is a part of, you know, plan A that God, you know, promised to Abraham. You know, one of the things that N.T. Wright likes to say, and I'm not sure if Jamie Davies, you know, uh, his his uh, former T.A. was the one who came up with this or, or, or not. But uh, I, I've heard both of them say a number of times, and I really I really like like it. Uh, it's this idea that, um, you know, God, uh, you know, God, God uh, uh, acted in a surprising way, as he always said he would. You know, so there's this continuity of like he always said he was going to act in an abrupt and, and surprising way. Um, so, yes, it's an abrupt and surprising, which is the discontinuity, but it's in accordance with what he said he was going to do. So I I like that way. Of, uh, you know, I, I'm not exer- I'm not sure how they they tend to word it. Um, I, I know I've heard both of them say it. But anyways, um, so I met David Shaw. That was a long winded way of saying, yes, met David Shaw. We had a good chat. Uh, and I was thrilled that we were going to be giving complimentary papers addressing different aspects of our critique, basically, of the apocalyptic apocalyptic reading. Uh, his his paper, I think, was published in the journal the New T- uh, journal for the study of the New Testament, JSNT, uh, and then mine was uh, published in the Scottish Journal of Theology. Um, so so we we uh, we both uh, have have made our critiques you know public in that regard, but. Um, but yeah, so are you referring to his JSNT article that you read? Yes, I am. Excellent. Yeah, it's and, an excellent article, and I, I do think uh, his point is quite valid. Mm-hmm. In the literature that the board refers, is, they are both motifs. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it is a good thought process. I mean, it, it helps you if you're going to have this mindset of this track. It helps you just identify all of these little motifs mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and in that sense that guides a student uh their thought which mm-hmm. is good and, and and you don't um um sidetrack mm-hmm. but we always have to have in mind that the literature actually says both yeah right yeah and so i uh, i agree with shaw that ultimately he says this this thing about this continuity mm-hmm. is just dominating their mindset and, and, and it's just this big assumption that that apocalyptic theology does that um that it's weird that they don't see it. Hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So um and and this is this is going to be pretty central to the work that you're doing. Then some of these uh, some of these issues you'll be addressing. Yeah, um, apocalyptic. Like I said, it gives me the the framework to talk about uh, the powers that are in play, the, the demonic powers that are in play in our reality, mm-hmm. right? And in that sense, is is very helpful to to think about good or bad, either you are with God or you're against God. In, um, I don't think that that's necessarily the point of Galatians, hmm. right? As Martin um, clearly says it, but it's the point of our decision. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my study does center around Romans 12, 1 and 2. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. so it's... Uh, Present your bodies as a living yeah, sacrifice right. and do not be conformed by the this age, but mm-hmm. be transformed by the renewal of the mind. 
Yeah. So in those two little verses, in my view, I have what God sees as as our reality, right? Mm-hmm. We are trapped in this um, in this world. Mm-hmm. However, we have a way out. Mm-hmm. It's the renewal of thinking, obviously, by the by the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the apocalyptic epistemology part of it. I'm guessing it is. Yeah, it is. Right, and so then in and so in, in a sense. I am doing an, uh, a thesis that is basically two in one. I'm, I'm taking apocalyptic theology and their frameworks so I can talk about this, the power of this age and what this age is. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I think they get so well that probably other, other views on polls do not emphasize so much about what is this age, what is the evil age and how it affects us. In the other mm-hmm. sense, I'm doing another study on cognitive science and how our thinking matters, how mm. we are shaped, how we are by nature plastic, mm. and how we are influenced, but also able to shape. So we shape ourselves by our thinking, but we shape others when we we um, share our thinkings, our mm. thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And, and so these two ultimately come together in Romans 1 and 2. Wow, that's great. So, so you have an interdisciplinary focus. It sounds with your with your work. Yes, that's great. If I would have contemplated only apocalyptic theology, which I was a couple of months ago, it would have been so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I I think interdisciplinary research is uh, it's just it's a it's a joy to read because, you know, there there are new angles and and new um, avenues for exploring kind of similar topics in fresh ways, you know, and, and, uh, you know, topics that we have explored plenty of times. So it's great to have another angle, you know, another angle in. And I I think that's a wonderful uh, sounds like a wonderful project. So I'm, I'm glad that you're glad that you're doing that. Well, this has been uh, a wonderful conversation, Paloma. Thanks for uh, chatting with me about apocalyptic theology. I think this is a, a good point for us to, uh, to end it, but uh, thank you again. Thank you. like more engagement of theology culture and discipleship from the two cities you can find us on facebook or visit us at our website at the two cities.com